This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What's up? Hey, hey. So we got something special today. Um, we do. We are both drinking the same thing, as you guys can see, and you also know that's kind of rare. Um, it's happened twice now. Has it happened twice, including this time? Yeah, I think we shared the pumpkin, the pumpkinator, back in October. Oh, I forgot about that because we only had one. We only yeah, had that's one, right. so we shared the pumpkinator, and then on the Catholic soteriology episode part two, take two, <laughs> um, we were both drinking High Life. Oh yeah, because we didn't go to the store. That's yeah. right. Yep. So, so this is the third time. It's this happened. is the third time that we have. That we're drinking the same beer. I, this is my two, three, four. This is my fifth one of these to drink. Um, not today. Not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not today. Uh, just in general. I have, I'm pretty familiar with this beer at this point. I really like it a lot. Yeah, I had it for the first time yesterday. And I will say it's not my typical flavor, but it's, it's really good. I, I second that. This is not a beer that I would typically drink, but I really enjoy it. Um, my buddy came over on Thursday, um, and he brought a six-pack of it. And he was like, dude, you got to try this beer. And I was like, I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, not going to be that good, whatever. Thinking I know everything. I'm a yeah, beer yeah, nerd. Yeah, like, I yeah. know what I'm Nope. Mm-mm. It's super surprising. It's from Kona Brewing. It's 4.4 ABV. It's called the Big Wave Golden Ale. If you can, if it's in your area, you can try it. It's, it's worth it. Yeah, I don't. Where's the brewery located? Uh, I'm pretty sure Hawaii. Um, Mahalo for recycling. Kona yeah, Brewing, I think I think it Fort is Fort Collins, Colorado. For Kona Brewing. Oh, so it's bottled in, in Fort, Fort Collins, Collins, but, but brewed. Kona Brewing is in Kona, Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. All right. Ready to get into these? Yep. Cheers. Cheers, bud. Yeah, it's just it's it's a really good beer. It's it's solid. Yeah, there's something about it. It's got a crispness to it that's nice on, like, today we're both pretty exhausted. We barbecued all weekend up for, we cooked, literally the pit was hot. For 19 hours. Oh, well, the pit was hot longer than that because of after, but. Well, yeah, um, but we cooked for 19 hours. Yeah. Straight. Um, and so, like. And we're both pretty tired. We had one yesterday, and it's like it, it's nice and crisp and refreshing. It's it's a good summer beer in Texas heat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I thoroughly enjoy this beer. The flavor profile is, um, it's it's light enough and crisp enough that it's refreshing, but it's complex enough that it's yeah. interesting. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, so I very much so agree. All right. 
So let's talk about narrative theology a little bit more. Let's do it. Um, to date, this is Sunday. Yeah, we're filming this Sunday yep. after the last episode aired. I've not gotten any negative feedback. Um, if there is some, I'm not ignoring you. It just hadn't got to me yet. Um, so we're going to keep rolling with it. I think so. Um, it is probably the way that I form most of my theological positions. I don't do much systematic theology anymore. And I don't do... Well, let me let me... So we talked a little bit about systematic theology last episode. A little bit. There's been a huge problem in theological circles because systematic theology is what most people do. Right. The problem is it can end up very easily very disconnected from biblical theology. Yes as is evidenced by the Omnis. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. But then if you do biblical theology, it you is virtually out. impossible to get to systematic theology. Right. Because there are so many things the Bible doesn't talk about. Right. So, I don't do much systematic theology. And I don't do much biblical theology either. So there has to be somewhere in between. There has to be some It has overlap. to be something in between. And people, once again, people are so suspect of narrative theology because you do have to get rid of inerrancy. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to get rid of inerrancy, and you do have to get comfortable. A lot of the things I was reading over the last little bit preparing for narrative theology, a lot of people are really afraid of the relativism. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like, well... Don't think of it as relativism. Think of it as contextualism. Think about it as God revealing himself in different ways to different people. Yeah, or just in context, right? Like me reading something is going to hit me in my context very different than you in your context or in, you know, an African-American woman living in the third ward that's 45 years old. It's going to hit her very different than it would hit either of us. Right. The way in which God chooses to speak through te- through the text is relative. It's contextualized. There's a, a man that used to go to the church that we grew up in. And um, he used to tell me all the time, Clayton, I've read the Bible countless times all the way through. And every time I read it through, I learn something new. Yeah. You can read the same verse 50 times. In 50 years, and every time you read it, it's going to probably be different because the context you're reading it in is the, different. The context of your life is very different from year to year. Mm-hmm. And so this is the way that I do most of my theology. Uh, I'm not going to say exclusively, but for instance, we all understand that the Bible is a book made up of a bunch of other writings some of them books some of them not books some of Um, them a collection of stories or a collection of songs or whatever yeah yeah they're a collection of laments yeah i mean 
there's a lot. Some of it has stories and other stuff. I mean, it. A lot of it's letters. Mm-hmm. Most of the New Testament is letters. Some of the Old Testament is letters. Like Proverbs, it's kind of a letter. Uh, well, yeah, that falls into wisdom. It, it does yeah, fall but, into wisdom literature, yeah. but it's written as a letter. Yeah, you're not wrong because it's to my son. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, you're right. So. It is this collection, but at the same point, it's a single story. Yeah. It's telling one narrative. Mm-hmm. What is that narrative? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Jesus is a part of that narrative. That's not the narrative. Oh, my God. This the guy. answer is who, always who Jesus. Who brought this guy? No. The answer is always Jesus. Okay, in third grade Sunday school, maybe, <laughs> but not here. No. I don't know the answer. Actually. The narrative that the Bible is telling is that God has a love for humanity, that he wanted a place to spend eternity with them in. Pastor Cullen. Hang on. We screwed it up. And God is restoring it to the way he wanted it. Pastor Cullen? Yes. What was the the crux of all of that? Restoration, right? Who brought restoration? Jesus. Boom. The answer is correct. My answer is correct. No, I said Jesus is a part of that story. He's not the story. That story exists long, long before Jesus Messiah. Sure. So but, there's a whole lot to that story. Go, go that, all the way back to Genesis, though. Genesis 1, or not Genesis 1, but Genesis 3 at, after the fall. Mm-hmm. There is uh, a messianic, uh, 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 what's the word? Help me out here. I'm tired, bro. No, I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you. I refuse. <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm not going to argue. I'm too tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. But the Bible tells this singular narrative. It's a narrative of God's desire to be in fellowship with humanity, his love for us. We screwed it up. And the rest of the story is about God trying to make it right. Sure. How did I get there? Because I read the narrative. Mm. See, what happens when you do biblical theology... So in systematic theology, you really don't need the Bible. People use it to make themselves feel better, but so much of what they're coming up with isn't biblically based. Right. I mean, and honestly, I'm gonna get I'm gonna upset some people when I say this. Most of systematic theology is just Platonism. I'm not I need to think about that, but I'm not sure I disagree. Most of systematic theology is just Platonism. Uh, most of Western Christians right. are just Platonists with Jesus. So that I absolutely agree with. Yeah. And because of that, most systematic theology is just Platonism. I need to think about that a bit more, but yeah. Okay. So, in this, when you do biblical theology... What ends up happening, and this is where the tradition that we've grown up in has failed us, 
is you don't do biblical theology from narrative. Right. You do biblical theology from objective truth. Right. That's the whole premise there is that the Bible is an objective truth. And so where do you get statements of truth in letters? Why has our tradition always ran to Paul to figure out what Paul said about Jesus rather than relying on the Gospels? Because it's really difficult when you're looking for objective truth to do biblical theology from narrative. Mm. So the Gospels, the stories, have become largely forgotten. You can go to the average Christian today they're going to know who Paul is. They're going to know who Jesus is. They may or may not know who Moses is. Right. They may or may not have ever heard of Joshua. They may or may not know who Joseph is. They may or may not know who David is, Solomon. Right. You know, all, all these people that are very key people in the narrative. But they're going to know who Paul is. They're going to know the disciples. They might know a little bit of Acts. But largely, I mean, I saw the statistic. I think it was from Barna. I'll have to find it and try to put it in the show notes if I can if I can find it again. But on the average Sunday in American evangelicalism, eighty percent of the sermons that are preached on any this was a pre-COVID statistic, but eighty percent of the the sermons that were preached uh, on any given Sunday morning in evangelical churches, do you know what percentage of them came from Paul? I'm, I'm guessing it's probably upwards of 60%, if not even more than that. Yeah, keep going. 80? It's right around 80%. 80% of sermons... I almost said that. ...will that, be... That tracks. ...from Paul. Because we're still giving over to this, like, you need statements of truth to do biblical theology narrative theology if you're careful with it allows you to get out of either side of this you don't need both of these things or or these things don't have to be mutually exclusive we can utilize them and work together now if you only do narrative theology you will have gaps in your theology Sure. Because there are things the Bible does not talk about. Sure. For instance, I mean, we don't have, and this is just straight up, we don't have great biblical proof for how Satan got here. Fair. We've got some illusions. Yep. We've got some ideas that we've kind of pieced it together. That story is never directly told. It's not. And most of our understanding of it is just a cosmic character of evil. Yeah. Every, every ancient Near Eastern culture, so ancient Near Eastern is the time of the Old Testament. Every ancient Near Eastern culture has a cosmic evil force. Sure. That's not unique to us. Yeah. Um, so there's so much in it that we don't know. Um, 
if you tried to do, use narrative theology only to come up with angelology, you might not be able to get completely there. Right. Um, so there are limitations to how you can use it. It solves a lot of problems, in my opinion. It doesn't fix every problem. Right. There are still things that it lacks. There are still problems that it has. But I've been saying this for years that um, the early church condemned a guy named Marcion as a heretic because he said we didn't need the Old Testament anymore. We only need the New Testament. That's most Christians today. I think that's probably true. Most Christians today don't read the Old Testament, probably don't feel like they need to, and honestly, the Gospels are only there to give me proof of Jesus when I need him, Right. but I really only care what Paul and Peter have to say. So that's where they spend most of their times. I mean, most Bible studies written are on epistles, or they're on topics of which epistles are used. Or the Psalms. Right. A lot of people like the Psalms, but as evidenced by the little pocket Bibles that we used to give out, New Testament and Psalms. Mm -hmm. that, that's the only book of the Old Testament that has Psalms. Yep. If I could only pick one book of the Old Testament, there would not be Psalms. Maybe Psalms ain't the one I'm picking. It would not be Psalms. Um I think I'm picking Genesis. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Genesis or um No, Genesis. Uh, that's my only answer. If I if I have to pick one book from the Old Testament, I'm picking Genesis. Yeah, I'm probably picking Genesis too. Um Yeah, the story is just too good. I'm picking Genesis. I mean, without having Genesis, if you only gave somebody New Testament and Psalms. They finish reading the Psalms. They get to John and they're like reading this narrative that seems like kind of creation like, right? Yeah. Like, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. How do they have a context for that without having read Genesis, right? Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. I'm probably going Genesis as well. Um, if I could only give them one. But yeah, there's us being tired again. We have functionally made Marcionites. Mm -hmm. And it, we did it to ourselves because we went through this phase where everything was, was about objective truth. Yeah. And so everything was about preaching truth. And we forgot stories. Yeah. We forgot narratives. We forgot the way in which these stories reveal who God is. I mean, I can't believe, honestly, I can't believe I was like 25 the first time I ever heard some of these stories in the Old Testament. Mm. Because I was like, I mean, this is better than Stephen King. Yeah. You couldn't write a television series with better storytelling than this but nobody knew they existed because they weren't preached. And when people read on their own, they go to the new Testament yep. and very few people make it. 
it's like less than 10% of people that start any of those things, like trying to read the Bible through a year or something. It's like 10% that make it all the way through. Yeah. There was a study that I read several years ago and it's like single digit percentage of people who claim to be a Christian that also say they've read the entire Bible. Mm. People aren't reading the Bible on their own. Yeah. And if we're not preaching these stories, they're not getting them. Yeah. They're just rereading all the same stuff we preach over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I know pastors that will do a series on Philippians. And they'll spend months in this series preaching through every verse of Philippians. And then they'll stop that. And they'll do a series on fear. Mm. And where do they go? Right back to Philippians chapter 4. And still, verse 13, about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So don't be afraid. It's like, well, they just heard that sermon. But that's how we do it. They'll do a topic on fear in one of the sermons on a four-week series. We'll be back in Philippians. It's like, okay, preach through Philippians. And you go to one on friendship. Where do they go? Philippians, where Paul is explaining his friendship with Timothy. Hmm. It's like we constantly repurpose these letters. And they just seem to be the cycle that we live in. And then when you're feeling really ballsy, you'll preach Hebrews or Revelation. Right. But, and then we'll do obviously Easter and Christmas. We'll do the narratives of the Gospels, but, or we'll do the one off parable that's really powerful or something. But by and large, we've forgotten the power of stories. And you know what's crazy? I always remember this happening in the church that we grew up in. Um, we would go to Paul explaining the Lord's Supper rather than to Jesus actually yep. doing it. Yep. I, I, I never quite understood that. Um, we have Jesus doing it. Yeah. We don't need to, we need Paul's words about that, right? But we don't need to go to that whenever we're actually doing communion because well, we but, have Jesus. Yeah, but why did we do that? Because Paul details out the theology, the truth right. of it better than Jesus does. Sure. And so we went there because we were looking for truth. Right. Everything, excuse me, everything hinges on what's the search for truth and what is truth. If truth in, if you were going to affirm inerrancy, which would be a prerequisite to objective truth, I would sure. imagine. Oh, absolutely. Um, you're going to define truth in a very like foundationalist epistemology. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what truth is. But if you've gotten rid of inerrancy in the Bible, so that tweet I sent you by Jeff Holsclaw. Yeah. He's doing narrative theology there. Right. Absolutely. Jeff Holsclaw is a professor at Northern Seminary and a PhD. And he put a tweet out and he's like, this is right around Easter. And he says, I can affirm the resurrection. Like, cause that's what everybody says that if you ask any of these other questions or whatever, like 
you diminish the value of the resurrection. That's just not true. Right. Um, I had something very similar to happen to me one time. I told somebody that I didn't believe in the rapture. Three weeks later, they preached a sermon that said, if you don't believe in the rapture, you can't believe in the resurrection. And I'm like, oh, so we went from having a nice theological conversation about the rapture to now you're telling me I'm not a Christian. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. So we do that all the time. So Jeff is combating this narrative. He says, I can affirm the resurrection, but I can also affirm that Genesis 1 is probably about something other than how long it took. Yep. He says, I can also affirm that the Canaanite conquest narratives, they're disturbing. The violence yep. is disturbing. What, what it actually says, for me, I can affirm the resurrection, and I also affirm that. The Genesis 1 uh, is about something other than how long. Noah's flood was probably regional. The first five books of the Bible weren't written by Moses, and the violence in the Old Testament is disturbing. Yeah. That first part there about Genesis 1, he's doing narrative theology. Right. He's going, look, I think I, think I can learn more from this story if I look at it outside of itself, yep. if I look at it in the larger narrative, I now understand that the story's not about how long. Absolutely. It's not about how many days it took. It's about something wholly other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also doing some other kind of theology and reasoning when he talks about Noah's flood being geographical, Yep. which we could also do in the creation story. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like... Keep, I'm glad we're on a closed set because I know you would be trying to throw tomatoes at me if I said this in person in public. But I feel like if God spoke light into existence, it would look a whole lot like a Big Bang. I don't know what else that would look like other than a Big Bang. Like, boom, light just shows up. Yeah. Kind of seems like that might be how that would happen. Yeah. Um, so, narrative theology is not the end all be all. It's not going to fix all the problems. But I wanted to have this conversation about narrative theology in this role, in this relationship between systematic theology and biblical theology, because neither of those have all the answers either. Right. And and there's quite a disconnect from them. Here, we're getting closer to the middle. Yeah. Now, we've got less answers than also either. True. Well, we've got less answers than either of these provide exclusively. But we have more room to come up with our own answers, too. Well, let me say, we do get less answers. You do have freedom. You have more freedom to come up with your own answers. I'm not necessarily sure that's a great thing. No, but not necessarily, but... It is a byproduct of this. But I think the answers we get are much more conclusive. I think that's fair. Because to do biblical theology, every and this is the deal, everybody's like, well, you can't do narrative theology because then the text is relative and you just pick and choose what you listen to and don't listen to. It's like, we do that now. Yeah. You people who don't do narrative theology do that now. Yep. There are all kinds of texts where you go, I, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter this morning. Oh my God, I want to delete my Twitter so bad. It seems like every time I turn on Twitter, somebody's fighting 
about the complementarian egalitarian argument. Mm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, bro, this is so dumb. Yeah. Jesus Let them preach. This. Let them preach. Yeah. Shut up. Stop thinking so much of yourself. I'm frustrated that we're still having this conversation and watching the way these people comment at one another. Shut up. My God, please, somebody shut up. Yeah. But even those people that are on the complementarian side, which I really don't like that there are people there. Like, I really don't like it. I'm not going to fight about it on Twitter. I'm going to fight about it on my podcast. I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No. We're doing a whole series right now on on women. On women. Yeah, like everybody clearly knows where I'm at. I don't need to have this Twitter feud. No. But I really hate that there are people there. But even complementarians, they have to reject certain things. They they can't talk about Deborah. Nope. They they have to rely solely on First Timothy two. They and they can't go. If they're really reading, that's the only place they can go. Yep. Maybe 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says to be quiet. But you got to you get you get in trouble when you go to 1 Corinthians cuz you've also got chapter 11 you've got to deal with where he specifically tells them not to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And the whole question is about doing it in church. Mm-hmm. The question is not can they do they cover their head or not? It's in what manner do they? Yeah, it's like they have one text. What do I tell you all the time? We do not build we do not build theologies and doctrines of one-off verses. That's how we got the rapture. Look, beer lovers, if you're a big fan, get that tattooed on your forehead. Because that that is if you take one thing away from any of our podcasts, I need you to take that away. Do not build theologies on one-off verses. Narrative theology allows us to pursue this in a way where we come up with very conclusive answers to questions, and we don't have anything from one-off verses. Mm-hmm. We have everything that's tracked through the narrative. What does the story as a whole tell us about this? Why can I easily like, just throw to the side first Timothy in Paul's language or second Timothy, wherever it is about women. Cause I got 61 other pieces of literature or sorry, 65 other pieces of literature that tell me that God does amazing things through women. Why am I going to let the one trump the rest of them? It's because I'm not looking for objective truth. I don't need a single statement that I can point my finger to. Because I'm okay going, hey, maybe that was contextual. Right. Maybe Paul was talking to Timothy about his church in Ephesus only. Yeah. Maybe this wasn't a universal practice. You know how I can say that? Because I know Deborah existed. I know God did amazing things through Deborah when there were qualified men around. God said, hey, Deborah, I want you to be my judge. Narrative theology allows us the freedom 
to not be bound by this incessant search through foundationalist epistemology of objective truth, we can still get to objective truth. Yeah. It's objective truth that God loves every human being. Absolutely. You know how I know that? Not because Paul told me. Because I understand the narrative of the cross. Right. I understand that Jesus on his cross says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul didn't tell me that God loves every person. Jesus told me God loved every person. Narrative theology allows us to have space to build a bigger picture than we could ever get to by formatting puzzle pieces. Narrative theology is painting canvases. Objective truth is building a puzzle.